It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Republican National Convention. In-depth coverage on KSL News Radio. So we've heard a lot of speeches over the last two weeks, Dave. First the DNC, now the RNC. You know, some political speeches, quite frankly, they're just lousy. Others make me proud to be an American. We're going to take you behind the scenes of how a great speech gets produced and delivered. And you know what I hope, Dave? I hope our discussion will help all of us expect more from our leaders, from our politicians, when they talk to us through the lens of a television camera. You're right. We watch the speeches, but we don't see the battle right behind the scenes to turn what could be maybe a not-so-great speech or a good speech into a moment, right? Something that people can latch on to. Former Utah Representative Mia Love is calling in uh, live, and I think she's online right now, mm-hmm. to talk about the I'm powerful... Hey. hey, I figured that... I figured you wouldn't stand us up. Uh, <laughs> no, of course not. Never. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is a fascinating story. I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, and this is something that, that you and Boyd Matheson had worked on, your speech in the 2020, uh, 2012 uh, Republican National Convention. And I'm very excited to hear. I want to play a little bit of this this. Uh, the speech. I mean, not that you don't remember it, but uh, for our listeners, let's play a little bit of this, Deb. Let me tell you about the America I know. My parents immigrated to this country with $10 in their pockets and a hope that the America they heard about really did exist. When tough times came, they didn't look to Washington. They looked within. So the America I grew up knowing was centered in self-reliance and filled with the possibilities of living the American dream. The America I know is grounded in the determination found in patriots and pioneers, in small businesses with big ideas. It's found in the farmers who work in the I just want to listen and listen to this speech, Mia. And I know the behind the scenes story. A lot of our listeners don't know the behind the scenes story. But when you were standing up and delivering that speech, tell me, tell us how many times had you practiced it? Because you said it with such passion. And even the way you moved your hands around and looked to the audience, it was just it just empowered the speech. Well, it was really um, it was really interesting because um, that speech was uh, was supposed to be a lot shorter. Actually, they said, we've got this video we need to play. Um, that speech is going to be a lot shorter, but um, in working with Boyd, uh, you know, we, he is very, very good with taking the things I believe in my heart. I could write it down, and then Boyd has a way of helping me add music or what I call symphony to it. And um, when you talk about working, you work through the words, you work through the words, but you have to believe in everything you say, and you have to mean it. And you want, you know, communicating is not speaking at someone or speaking at words. You're trying to evoke the emotion that you're feeling. And I have to say that the fear, 
um, of what was going on, the love for my country, but mainly the honor of coming from Utah um, and the honor of being a parent and my kids watching. Um, that was, I, that's what really, um, I, I guess, lit the fire in, in the things that I, that I was saying. So, Boyd, you it, were the speechwriter. Was there a time limit or listen, if you have the microphone, I guess there's really no time limit. This isn't the Oscars where they play you off the stage, right? Well, no, actually, Dave, uh, they, they were, they do worse than that. They'll, uh, they'll carry you. They'll threaten to carry you off the stage. <laughs> in fact, we, we, we had a, a great moment and, and Mia can give you her perspective. Uh, but I, when we were in Tampa to go through the, the walkthrough, uh, before we went in, I think the last thing I told Mia was they're going to try to scare the heck out of you. <laughs> to keep you on time. Yeah. yeah, that you, you know, yeah. the green light goes on and then you speak. And then when the yellow comes on, you got 15 seconds. And if that red line comes on, we're going to drag your sorry backside off this stage. And uh, so, yeah, you have to fight for, for every second. And it, uh, as Mia said, it was, uh, they didn't give her much time in the beginning. It was only about 60 seconds. Uh, 60 and- seconds. That- yes. Mia, that's not enough here's time the, to say anything. <laughs> here's what's amazing about this. Boyd had me freaking out. He's like, we're not cutting the speech. We're not cutting it. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? They're saying they're going to turn the mic off. They're saying they're going to turn the lights off. What are we going to do? And as I was going through the process, he's like, all right, just kind of go through. This is the this is the 60-second version. But we had worked forever on the longer version. So he said, here's a 60-second version. And there was a young man there that was just keeping time. And apparently, um, somebody more important came into the room. Um, at that time, it was Rick Santorum, who was the presidential candidate before. So he walks into the room, and they leave. And Boyd looks at me. He's like, can you just deliver the speech the way you want to deliver it? And I said, but it's longer. And the guy's like, whatever, let's try it. Um, so the guy that was doing the timing said, go ahead and do it. I delivered the speech, and he looked over to Boyd and I, and he says, if you deliver that speech with half the emotion, no one is turning off the oh, mic. I will be back there myself. That's and so incredible. Boyd gives a sigh of relief, and I was just like, okay, all right, we're doing it. So it goes and, from like a minute, Boyd, right? Yeah, and and the the beauty was is, is you know, so we had this short version uh, and then I had a longer one on a on a stick drive, and uh, as soon as they said, "Hey," in fact, the old guy uh, who was uh, chronicling everything, I think he'd been to every convention since Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> he he was a little more colorful in his language, as I recall. He you know he's like, if you don't use every blankety blank word of that speech, you're a bunch of blankety blank idiots. And and, so and I handed him the stick drive and said, "I think we're good." So in rehearsal, when me is there. Um, you you get a minute in, in the beginning, and then the longer speech that you, the both you and Boyd had crafted, ends up being about four minutes long. And uh, Representative Love, I want to play this um, clip from the speech. It's when uh, you you go after President Obama, and then I want to come out and make uh, give you my uh, take on it. Okay. I'm here to tell you the American people are awake, and we're not buying what you're selling in 2012. You spent a very short amount of time in that speech 
uh, going after President Obama. However, the time you did spend, I felt was very effective without making it sound like you were, you know, beating up on him from from the the podium. Did you guys have a conversation about how to go after the opponent? Because quite frankly, I think Americans get sick and tired of, you know, everyone taking, you know, shots at each other all the time. They just, you know, say say what you need to say and move on. Did you have that discussion beforehand? Well, we have this, I, I have this philosophy that it's okay to attack policies. It's okay to attack, but you don't attack a person personally. And I think that that's where it, it, it becomes a little, um, it, where politics gets really uh, undesirable. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of personality attacks, and people are just frankly sick of it. Um, I felt it. I, I've I've dealt with it, and frankly, I I just didn't like it. And so I think that that is not the America that I know, right? That is not the America. We've always known that, look, we can can differ on ideas. We can differ on, on politics. But one of the things that we really need to do is continue to be respectful of one another as human beings. And I've always said this about the office of president, even with Obama, um, who I didn't agree with on policy. I respect the office. And when he walked into the House of Representatives, I always stood up and I always clapped because I felt like that office deserved my respect. You're not going to go anywhere. We want to continue this conversation. Is that okay, Mia? <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's okay, great. awesome. Uh, Dave, your take. Yeah, I think how how much has changed, right, in 2020, uh did you see any Democrats standing up and, and clapping for President Trump? Uh, maybe you did, but I tell you, it, it, there's been some massive changes over the last few years, and, and I want to dip my toes into those waters a little bit with you, uh, Mia and, and Boyd, and find out what's changed and can we get back to some semblance of normalcy. Oh, so let's continue that conversation. It's 1030 And we're back, as always, after news, traffic, and weather. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Republican National Convention, in depth coverage on KSL News Radio. We are taking you right now uh, behind the scenes of the RNC. 2012 was the year. Discussing what it takes to make a great speech, because quite frankly, Dave, in the last couple of weeks listening to the DNC and to to some of the RNC as well, I haven't heard a speech this powerful. God bless America. This is our time. We are truly the best, last hope on earth. 
I tell you, when you have a live audience that's all in, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Representative Mia Love delivered that speech back in 2012. Our very own inside sources, Boyd Matheson, helped her write that speech. Uh, Mia, do you still get compliments on that speech today, besides from Dave and I? <laughs> oh, no. Sure. I mean, um, you know, there there are a lot of people that will still say, oh, my gosh, I remember that speech. I remember, um, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and it was it was it was a moment that um, I, I I have to tell you, the most proud moment for me was when I came home and my kids just looked at me and they're like, mommy, we are so proud oh. of you. We were all and Abby had said to my husband, he's like, I want to, I want to be like mom one day. And she wasn't talking about politics. She was talking about um, being able to reach people in, in a way that was significant. And so I have to say that that, I think that that's the best compliment that I could ever receive is when a child looks at you and says, you know, I want to do that. Yeah, that was, I tell you, I look at it and, you know, trying to even get in a position where you can speak, you know, at the RNC, this is, this is massive. And, uh, oddly enough, we, we had another Utahn uh, able to, to do the same thing. Burgess Owens, who's running for Congress uh, for your old seat, Mia, uh, spoke at the convention last night. Let's play a little bit of, of what he had to say. During the Trump administration, business ownership among blacks, Hispanics, and females have reached all-time highs. Those same groups enjoyed record low unemployment and unprecedented prosperity. And we're just getting started. I'm running for Congress because we don't need more career politicians. We need a few more chimney sweeps. Of course, Burgess uh, was a chimney sweep after his career in the NFL. Boyd Matheson, you, of course, assisted Mia in the writing of that 2012 speech. Uh, You've taken us behind the scenes in the last few minutes of how that came together. And you were actually able to sneak in an extra three minutes of time, which I think was so critical in that. How does a speech uh, like what Burgess delivered last night, of course, it was not in front of a live audience. Uh, compared to what Representative Love was able to so powerfully deliver, um, what, eight years ago? Yeah, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, doing it uh, in a studio, no audience, uh, is, a, is a high degree of difficulty uh, as well. Uh, although I think if you own the speech, uh, it's very different. Uh, in 2012, it was so interesting. So as as uh, Mia went up on stage, I was down in the, in the bowels of the convention center uh, back in the green room. And you had all of the high-powered political elites and consultants and lobbyists and all the RNC folks were all down there. And they're all just kind of eating food and and milling about. And when Mia started to speak, uh, I think it was the the, uh, one of the governors uh, nudged somebody and said, stop. And like the whole room just went quiet. They they knew it was a moment. And it was a moment because not only did did Mia own the speech, uh, she had lived the speech. Uh, and so she was able to deliver it from a very authentic place. I think one of the biggest challenges we've seen over the last two weeks is we've listened to a lot of speeches that, frankly, anybody could have given. Uh, and so being able to take that, I think that was probably the strongest part of Burgess Owen's speech last night was the chimney sweep moment that, hey, I, I went from the NFL to a chimney sweep and a nighttime uh, guard. Uh, and, and so those things are, are very authentic. And then how you tell that story and then get that story to a principal where everyone listening can say, oh, yeah, I want to be part of that story. That's uh, To me, that's the magic of it all. Mia, uh, Boyd has talked often about taking these moments and turning them into movements. 
do you feel like that is is the next step or a step that's that's much more difficult uh, than than having just one of those powerful moments? I hope so. I really do. I have so much um, optimism in our country. Look, we we have been in horrible places before, and for us to say that we're not going to get through it, for us to say that we just give up, I mean, that I, I just don't accept that. I, I, I will never accept that. And so, um, you know, I hope that you've got great people like Tim Scott that talked about going from cotton to Congress. You've got um, great people like Burgess. I love that he owned, you know, failure. He, he pretty much said failure is not final, and only in this country can you, can you, just, can you, can you get yourself from zero to back back on your feet or go as far go further than you even thought you could go. Um, I certainly hope that that doesn't that we can get back to to that because I what makes this country great is is the American heart and the American spirit. It's not it's not just the land. It's it's the it's the people and I hope that we can we can get back there. Boyd, let me ask you the final question here. Um, what is it going to take to hear more of what I can do for you as opposed to what the other candidate isn't capable of doing for you or what the failures of the other party is. I mean, I'm kind of tired of that. Yeah. And the American people are tired of that too. We know what everyone's against. We know Democrats are against the president and presidents against Joe Biden. We, we know all the against things we want to know uh, what they're for. And really interesting. Scott Rasmussen came out with a national poll over the weekend uh, that amazingly found something that 92% of Americans all agree on. And it is that we want our leaders to talk about things that unite us. And then really interestingly, 73% of Americans believe that the one thing that will unite the nation are the founding principles, principles of freedom, justice, equality, opportunity, upward mobility. So it's those founding principles. And uh, I know the, uh, the the consultant certified poll tested stuff that a lot of these candidates end up spewing out uh, are really flat and really tired. Uh, but it's going to take it's going to take some people who are courageous enough to say, I trust. So often you hear the politicians say, trust me. Uh, and what Mia did and what a lot of folks can do is say, I trust you because I That's know right. you're living these principles. You sound That's like right. you agree with that, um, Mia. I, I absolutely agree with that. This is not about the politician. It's not about the person that's saying, hey, look at me. I can serve you. It was always and it should always be about government for the people, of the people, by the people, which means that I am going to trust you. You are going to lead me. And um, if we can get to that place where um, we can trust the American people to make those decisions, then um, then I think that we'll, we'll get back to that, that wonderful country that we recognize. Mia Love, Boyd Matheson, thank you so much. What a great conversation for the past 30 minutes. Uh, Boyd, you're right. Flat and tired, that's a bad combination for a speech. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Mia and Boyd, uh, Echo Dave, uh, thank you both so much. What great insight. I love that, Dave, going behind the scenes of what it takes to get a great speech on television. Great speech. Love it. You can catch it online anywhere. I watched it three times this morning. Four minutes. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.